You are listening to a sermon from Mission Point St. John. We hope this message encourages a deeper connection between you and Jesus, our Savior. Thank you for joining us at Mission Point, and uh, we've been in a series, um, and we're in a series called Amplified, and we've been focusing uh, on uh, the six pandemics that have happened during COVID that are not uh, being spoken about maybe as much as they should, and so we've been doing this. We're into lesson three, and... um, and so tonight we're moving f- uh, further into this series, Lesson 3. Um, we want to remind you, of, obviously, to be faithful to prayer on Friday night and then also the services on Sunday, that God would have His way in a powerful way. Amen. So, Lesson 3, uh, tonight we're going to be speaking about the pandemic of division. The pandemic of division. And... Um, This is maybe one of the most divided times that has ever happened within the church community. Not just society, but also even within church. Now, of course, you know, when I'm giving you statistics, it's across all denominations. So it's not just one location or one denomination, but the idea behind what I'm saying is... um, It even has come into churches. Uh, Over 96% of churches ceased to have public gatherings when the national shutdown was declared, and that's across North America. Obviously, it reached basically 100% of churches that progressed to being closed throughout that time. Now, there, there was a few that, tried to do something different, and those are the ones that ended up in the news. And um, so the, the bottom line is it affected church. And you know uh, that obviously is a fact of weeks and months on end, us not being able to gather. Uh, we went through the process of possibly just, you know, five people in the building, ten people in the building. Okay, you're allowed 50 people in the building. We tried doing six services to try to accommodate. We went through all of that. Um, And so basically, 100% of churches, even uh, over that period of time, became that there was periods when they were closed. And, And, but when we came back, how we came back also mattered. (laughs) Okay, so... If you required mass, some considered you a compromiser. If you didn't, others said that you lacked compassion for people at risk. This is what was being pushed, okay? Um, The issue of race emerged throughout this period of time throughout North America, especially uh, in the States, and it caused a great amount of division. You'll have instances where did the church mention 
the George Floyd scenario? If so, uh, many were grateful, and yet others were unhappy. Um, if you mentioned it, you didn't also mention the summer riots, then people got upset. If the riots were discussed and the Floyd situation was not, then others got upset. <laughs> Pastors um, across denominations tell us that they've never experienced the level of conflict in their lifetime in the church that has happened over the last two years. So in the past, and these are statistics, uh, in the past, it was common that if 5% of the church wasn't mad at you at any time, then you probably weren't doing anything very significant. You probably weren't leading to your potential if there wasn't at least a percentage of people that were uh, not uh, happy with you. Um, but if 75% of the church was upset, then you probably should slow down and do something different. <laughs> That's what statistics were in the past. Today, thankfully, Mission Point is not like this. But today, it's pretty normal, according to statistics, to have 25 to 30% of people upset with you simply because of the division that's happening in the world today. So when you have 25% of the church that's upset and they enter into the church with that mentality, it's going to take a toll on people. Now, thankfully, we are blessed at Mission Point that we don't have that situation, and if we do, no one's telling me about it. So pastors from churches of every stripe still have no idea how many people will actually eventually return to church <laughs> uh, because there's churches that have never seen such amounts of people upset for so long a time. And again, that's a challenge. Uh, here at Mission Point, we still have people we have not seen. So much is changing, and it's changing so quickly in our culture. We have to address the pandemic of division because it's been amplified through COVID, and it's not being talked about enough. So one of the things that appears to be changing the most is how deeply people seem to dislike each other. <laughs> Elections, global pandemics only seem to make the trend worse, but it doesn't take much if you walk down the wrong way, according to the arrows, If you didn't have your mask up high enough on the plane, all kinds of things, you know, uh, and, and of course, some of it's funny and some of it's not. My wife and I were in a, an establishment, and uh, 
we we were just kind of walking gradually, not you know, not thinking too much about it. We were prepared properly. And I mean, people were going into aisles. I, I felt like I had the plague. I wish we could say Christians were exempt from this trend, but we're not, in fact. And there's a good number of Christians, unfortunately, that are also fueling it. Now, pastor's teaching tonight, so everyone's going to have to be okay. See, a few years back, people would say that, you know, their social feeds felt, you know, they felt a lot more like fun, where they could maybe have fun on social media and, and you know, share all kinds of fun things and jokes. And uh, it's, it's actually moving away from that to being a place where feelings are coming out and it's not always positive. Some days the feed is so bad people just actually want to give up. It seems like an endless drone of suspicion that's fueling anger and outrage that is giving the world the power it needs to cause division. And if there is anyone that needs to fight against that, it is the church. It's almost as though if you're not outraged, then you can't have an opinion. And on the other hand, if you share your opinion, you might be outraged. So sometimes it feels like the outrage just waits to jump on whatever issue seems to be the easiest to follow at the moment. And it becomes like a parasite. I mean, just sucking the energy out of people until they feel absolutely drained with life. And that's happening in our world. Even to the point, if we're not careful, can creep into us in the church. So what's going on? So what is it that's going on? And how did we end up? And how are people getting to be this way? It didn't all of a sudden happen that, you know, everyone turned bad. Even though there's some days that it might feel like everyone's angry, everyone's not angry. The squeaky wheel seems to be getting the grease. And so that's being fueled. So we have to start. And okay, the problem, of course, is, is more nuanced than just simply getting angry. There is a divisiveness at work in society. It's, it's become political. It's become that uh, if, you, if you say things a certain way that people think that you are radical. Um, people are blaming other people. You say, well, you know, do we, yeah, we, we need to talk about it because this is what we're dealing with. It's the pandemic that no one is really talking about that was amplified through COVID. And we must be aware of it, even within the church. Um, a, a person by the name of Alexandrus wrote, 
if only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them, but the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. And so what divisiveness does is it actually tries to creep into every person. Not that we should allow it, but it will try. I've listened to people through all of this that their families had to finally make a decision that they could not talk about COVID when they got together because it, they got too angry about it. Families. <laughs> As if the family wasn't there before COVID. Interestingly enough, that's what's happening. It brings out the strong opinions of things. So there is there's some surprising things that fuel anger many of us may not always be aware of. And, and, and at least understanding those conditions can help us ang amplify um, the anger we all feel that we have to deal with to, to ward off division. Can I tell you tonight that anger is not a sin? Uncontrolled anger is a sin. You can be upset and still be sensible. You can be upset and still not take it out on people. You can be upset and not be an idiot. So, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about some of these things. Why are most of us angrier than we used to be? And why is there so many things that are causing division in people's lives? Um, there's more than just a few reasons, but I'm, you know, that division and anger is kind of a, an epidemic or a pandemic that no one's talking about. But I'm just going to share a few of them with you. Number one, you're naturally more aggressive online than you are in person. People are hiding behind the screens. People say and do things online that they would not be comfortable in doing if they were standing across from the person. Not only do people try to manicure their image so they look better than you do, but unless you work hard at it, you become more naturally aggressive and more divisive and more hostile than you are in person. And so you have to, without question, be aware of what you comment and what you say online. You cannot fix stupid. You can't. And so what happens is all or most conversations online that become aggressive, no one wins. It only becomes more hostile, and it actually will increase your blood pressure, and you can't actually do one thing about it other than get off of the chat or the discussion. Do you know that 
They have discussions for ministers. They have one called a forum. As the superintendent of this district, I refuse to be on the forum. (laughs) And that's just my personal opinion. Because I don't have the time to do all the apologizing I would have to do after the fact. So I just avoid. I avoid because you know what? We can become more aggressive online than we would ever be in person. The question is why? The answer is because you're kind of anonymous. Even if you use your real profile picture and your real username, so actually people know who you are and not something like truth troll 182317. You still don't feel the closeness that you do in real life that if you're sitting across the table, the attitude and the spirit of you could actually be shared so people could understand. Distance between people desensitizes people. That's why I'm kind of old-fashioned. My kids say, even sometimes in my texts, it's yes, no, maybe. I'm very cautious even in my texts or my emails because I always have this feeling that it's not going to be said right. Because sometimes... Our attitude and our spirit is not able to be seen. And so if we're not careful, we we can become desensitized because of the distance that it is happening between the conversation. Um, Generals generals have known this for a millennia. That's why soldiers wear uniforms and wear war paint. It not only identifies you, but it disguises your humanity. They approach it that it's easier to shoot you if they can't see you. Before you judge soldiers, obviously, think of how we use our car. Chances are we become naturally more aggressive than we normally would be when we're in the car. Occasionally, Cutting people off, tailgating, maybe some even honking their horn. Hopefully, no extra digits. And not caring nearly as much as you normally would do. You ever wonder why that's the case? Because you're in a 3,000 pound armored vehicle and you don't see the guy that's actually bothering you the same. You see them as a problem. So get out of my way. I've got places to go. And you you on your Sunday drive are hindering me from getting there. Now you say, Pastor, you're preaching right at yourself. That could be the case. Think about it this way. Even if you're in the supermarket, you're ruder when you have a shopping cart in your hands than when you don't. The same dynamic is at work. You say, 
I, now, I don't know. I think I told you this story. But this happened during COVID. I went to an establishment in another city. And when we went to go in, we did all the right things. And we started to walk in, and she said, no, you can't go in. You have to take a cart. I have to take a cart. Why would I have to take a cart? I don't want a cart. <laughs> well, we're actually counting people by how many carts are in there. I'm thinking, how difficult could it be just to have a piece of paper and draw a line? One line for me, one line for her. That was my thought. How, how difficult can that be? I don't need a cart. My wife can tell you. I went in there with that cart. I was going around lanes, up and down aisles, much faster than necessary. I didn't want a cart. And the thought even crossed my mind, I'm going to walk out of here and I'm going to leave the cart somewhere so they don't know I left. Now, I know that none of that was good. None of that was proper. I'm just proving my point of what I'm trying to say. The stupidity of a cart made me more aggressive in a place I didn't want to take a cart. You say, well, Pastor, you know, that's too much transparency. I'm just, I'm just showing you how real it is. The same dynamic is at work on social media. It's the same type of thing online. When you're online, you can't see the person's eyes at most times. It's just easier to shoot. And because the Internet is dehumanizing, it's easier to mistreat other people and not actually care about their feelings. Bottom line, it's never been easier to be more divisive online than it is today. And this is a pandemic, folks, that's happening in our society that's actually hurting how we can have normal, sensible discussion. Number two, hate generates more clicks than love. Always does. Long before the endless fake news arguments of today, TV news and newspaper editors figured out a long time ago that bad news sells. They learned how to play into that anxiety and fear to get ratings. The 24-hour news cycle and explosion of new media has accelerated that attention-grabbing tendencies through COVID. Social media has put that tendency on steroids. A person by the name of Tristan Harris makes a compelling argument that uh, things that people are doing on, on the Internet or search engines, the social media intentionally prioritize outrage because, as Harris argues, the major social and tech companies have figured out that the outrage spreads much faster than something that's not outrage. Sadly, the human nature also knows that, and at least the human nature in the 21st century 
Hate generates more clicks than love. And we realize that if we title things positively. Things that are titled positively, no one reads them. For example, I could have, I could have put tonight's lesson. I could have titled it this. Love each other more. Our world needs it. But no, I called it the pandemic of division. The pandemic of division is the title. Instead of love each other more, the world needs it. The pandemic of division is a much more compelling headline. <laughs> it might get more views online if we make it something divisive. How crazy is that? Okay, number three. Any attention can feel better than no attention to some people. There's an, uh, uh, there's an inverse trend happening around us thanks to technology. We've never been more connected than we are today, yet we've never felt more alone. In 2018, hear this now, the British government launched the first ever loneliness strategy. They appointed a minister for loneliness to deal with the deep isolation millions of people feel. They instituted a loneliness person because of how people feel isolated. While this isn't always the truth, sometimes lonely people will settle for any attention they can get. And when you feel nothing, a click or a comment can make you feel something, even if it's not nearly as satisfying as a real conversation, a real connection, or something that's true. It got someone's attention, and it makes some people feel good. Sometimes I wonder if the trolls who leave angry tirades are honestly just lonely people. Not happy with themselves, so they try to stir the pot for someone else to get going. The next time you're hoping to get noticed online, put your device down, grab a coffee, and go and sit across from a friend instead and have a nice old-fashioned conversation, even if it's only about the weather. Just talk to someone in real. And listen, if you struggle with friendship, make a friend. Most people are as lonely as you are, and they just look for someone to reach out and say, why don't we just get together for a coffee? Number four, you know enough to make your world feel dark. One of the challenges everyone is navigating is the flood of information that people are receiving today. You can't sit for any length of time unless you have these things clicked off on your phone and there'll be news feeds that'll pop up and you'll... From social media feeds to breaking news to flashes in 
the minute-by-minute invasion of notifications and buzzes and rings. And, I mean, they're disrupting everybody's day. The information available is way past any time in history. This is, this is, not, this is not always good. If you flip back a few generations, you'll notice that, you know, our great-great-grandparents, for example really only processed the information they needed to know and could act on. You only knew so many people, and when someone died, you knew them, so you were part of everything that happened around that family, that funeral, that community, that support system. Now you get told several times a day, of mass shootings and plane crashes and typhoons and wars and thousands of people dying here or there. And we don't know most people ever involved. And so we become powerless to help except maybe give a few dollars in a relief effort or something, a GoFundMe campaign. And so what happens is you're flooded with information, whether it's emails from Wayfair or wherever. I don't know. Status updates. You're bombarded every day with information that you don't have time to process. Let alone do anything about it. And so you know what it's doing to us? It's making us cynical. It desensitizes our compassion for people. And we can have a major thing happen in the world where thousands of people are affected and we see it as news and we move on very quickly. The media runs bad news and when your friends post about that latest trip or the fantastic dinner or something that you wanted to do, they got to do and you didn't. I mean, the possibilities of jealousy and resentment and loneliness and profound issues associated with social media arise, and you say, well, why didn't someone invite me? Why didn't I get a call? Why wasn't I part of that event? What? And this is what happens. We stop to forget that you were probably working, doing something else. But cynicism roots itself into the knowledge of what's being presented to us on a daily basis. And the more you know, the more cynical you can become if you're not careful. The reason you were so happy when you were younger, it's because we were ignorant to a lot of those things. And it didn't matter. We just enjoyed what we did. That's why you watch children, and I mean, they don't get caught up in a lot of the stuff. They're just having fun. Ignorance is bliss. But now every single day, we get to see how humans are actually mistreating other humans. Uh, You see that you weren't invited to something, and you can hold on to that. And if if, if you're not careful... It affects your spirit. It is divisive. Yeah. Okay. Uh, if, if, if this is the case, 
then our character actually needs refinement that we have, uh, that we need a deeper spiritual maturity to be able to use the media that's being presented to us and navigate through those things. Listen, if you get upset because you weren't part of something, you need to get off of social media for a while and navigate your spiritual maturity because that's a long ways from what really matters. It's divisive. It's divisive. Number five, division, anger can get you heard even when you have nothing to say. Many people would say that the opposite of love uh, isn't hate. It's actually indifference. When it feels like the world is indifferent to you and you're unloved, anger is the way to get attention. Kids become famous at it. If kids don't feel like they're getting enough attention, they will do something to get your attention, whether it's good or bad. We had all the grandkids at our house. They were all quiet downstairs playing. My wife goes down and finds them all writing on the walls. They're writing up, they're writing up and down the hall on the walls. And the question went out, why are you writing on Grammy's walls? We didn't have any paper. That was the response. Attention was got even in a negative way. Sadly, even in adults, anger can get us heard even when we have nothing to say. The next time you feel the urge to rage or become divisive. Remember, you're not alone. There's a lot of people out there just like that. You have to ask yourself some questions before you respond in a certain manner, before you write the post or send the blog or shoot off the email or the text. Ask yourself some questions first. Number one, what's my real motive? Am I trying to help, hurt, or just get noticed? Are people better off or worse off after they've read what I've written. Am I calling out the worst in people or trying to bring out the best in people? If the person I'm writing to was in the room looking me in the eye, would I say the same thing in the same way? You've got to ask yourself some questions because if not, it becomes divisive if we're not doing that for the right reasons. Listen, we don't always get it right, but we can ask ourselves the questions and filter out emotions and help us process our feelings. And I can tell you right now, too many people had too much time on their hands through COVID. What do you do with the junk you feel, the loneliness, the anger, the outrage? Uh, there's some ways to handle it. Process privately, help publicly. Processing privately can be as simple as praying about it and waiting for 24 hours before any response is given. Sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes 24 hours is not even enough. 
Sometimes you'll need to maybe talk to someone else to say, you know what, I, I have these thoughts going through my head. I have this feeling. I have this I want to say. I, like, I need to pass this by you to see if it's, if it's hurtful or harmful. Or Other times you may need to, to talk to someone that can recommend, uh, make sure, pull us back into a healthy environment and not actually put ourselves out there to be harmful. Healthy doesn't happen on its own. It doesn't. You and I need help. Trust me, the world doesn't need your immediate opinion or my immediate opinion on everything. Twitter, Instagram, they can wait a day. No one will probably perish because you didn't respond right away. Strangely, though, there can be things happen in people's lives that actually become hurtful for the rest of their life if things are said in anger or divisiveness. No matter if apologies are made, memory still remains. Better unsaid than said and have to apologize. Oftentimes, if you sleep or Sleep on it, pray about it, discuss it with another person. You won't feel the same way. Sometimes just talking it through helps us through that process. And it's shocking how often if we just let it go, uh, actually there's a healthy response that comes out after a period of time and says, you know what, it's just not worth it. It's just not worth it. Run everything through your helpful filter. If it's not helpful not constructive, then don't write it, don't say it, don't repeat it, don't send it. With that being said, critique is, is different than criticism. A critique aims to build up, not to tear down. It's not like you can never say something negative. That's, that's not accurate. But when you and I have something to say that it should make people feel better, and it should get them into a better place in the long run. And if you and I can't figure out how to do that, then we're not ready to post. We're not ready to have the discussion if it can't be in a positive manner. 95% of all problems in the church actually have nothing to do with the church. Isn't that interesting? Statistics tell us that 95% of all problems in the church has nothing to do with the church. It came into through discussion. That's the enemy's way of causing division even within the family of God. Distance and division have made people ruder and bolder than they have ever been ever in their life. So, I've got 10 minutes to give you scripture of how to fix it. Romans chapter 16 and verse 17 says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. 
for your obedience has come abroad unto all men. I am glad, therefore, on your behalf, but yet I would have you wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. The word divisions in that verse means disunion or dissension. And the Bible says because they strive to make divisions or disunion and set the flock at variance among themselves and from these divisions, out of them come offenses. Offenses are produced because of divisiveness. And this, he said, is contrary to the doctrine of peace and unity and brotherly love, which we have learned. Look, um, look sharply after such that they, he said, do no evil. Avoid them. Mark them, he says. Uh, have no countenance with them. Don't even fellowship with divisiveness. It will affect you in a negative way. Listen, if someone has something that, that they're distraught about, upset about, let them come and talk to the people who can change it. There's nothing wrong with having discussions. But entertaining divisiveness will affect you in a negative way. And the Bible is very clear that that is to be marked and avoided. You say, that's, that's pretty serious. It is that serious because there's nothing about God that is divisive. Ecclesiastes 4 and 12, and if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Be connected in a positive manner with people of like thinking. Say, well, you know, I just get overwhelmed uh, when people some come, comes and approaches me with such things. Just come right out and say it. I want to talk about that. You and I can't change anything about it, so why are we going to waste any time worrying about what the government's going to do about this or that? You'll end up with a headache. Matthew 18 and verse 18 says, Verily I say unto you, Whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst. That's not just about worship. That's about being with people that are not divisive. We're going to do this together. We're in this together. We're going to get through together. We're going to come through holding on to everyone possible together. Yeah. Okay, Psalm 133. I'm, I'm trying to hurry. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren, speaking about humanity, to dwell together in unity. He says, it is like precious ointment upon the head 
that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard that went down to the skirts of his garment, as the dew of Hermon, and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. This phrase, precious ointment, the composition of that is the anointing oil. You can go back to Exodus 30 and 23, and you can see all the, the parts, the cinnamon, the calamus, the, the cassia, the olive oil. You, and it's the odor. It's the odor of that precious ointment. It serves as a, as a metaphor, an excellence of brotherly love. And he says, listen, how good it is for us to be covered from the top of our head how we think our minds, what we say, let that anointing oil flow over you. It ran down and says upon his beard, the oil was poured upon the head of Aaron so profusely as to run down upon his garments. It was customary that, that in the east to pour out the oil on the head so much that it would run down upon every limb. We pray for you and we put a little dab on your forehead. That's not how it was. They took out the horn and they poured the whole thing over top of your head. The idea behind that was there was a fragrance that came, an odor that came that unified the people. And the writer of Psalms says, how good it is for us to be doing this together. Last, last passage, Ephesians 4, Paul's writing this, and he starts it with in verse 1, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with longsuffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This is how he starts out chapter 4. The, the idea behind it is we're trying to do this together. We're trying to do it together. He jumps down to verse 11, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. These are the leadership for the perfecting of the saints. That's the, the working uh, of our, our lives for the work of the ministry, he says, and for the edifying of the body of Christ. He's trying to get us to be more like the Lord till we all come into the unity or in the unity of the faith we're all trying to do this the same way, for the same direction, for the same person. We all have our own lives and our own opinions and our own thought patterns, but we've got one thing in mind, the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. It's all about Him. It's all about Him. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slate of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love, we can actually say what needs to be said properly. Is that what it appears to you? Speak the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head even Christ. What the verse is saying, you can speak the truth out of love. But it tells us to speak it in love. Very important. Notice now, all of this comes before verse 16. 
from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. The apostle's meaning is that as the human body is formed by the union of all members to each other under the head and by the fitness of each member for its own office and place in the body, the church is formed by the union of its members under Christ, the head. There's only one head, and it's none of us. It's only Christ. Further, as the human body increases until it arrives at maturity by the energy of every part in performing its proper function and by the, the sympathy of every part with the whole, so the body of the church of Christ grows to maturity by the proper exercise of the gifts and graces of individuals for the benefit of the whole church. We are all needed to make up the church. That leaves no room for divisiveness. None. The, the verse is proof of the wisdom and learning of the Apostle Paul. Not only the general ideas and the phraseology that he's using about the body, but he is, he is articulating of the bones, the composition, the action of the muscle, the circulation of the fluids, the carrying of nourishment to every part, the depositing some in every place, and the energy of the system that is keeping up with all the functions that uh, particularly introduce the, the whole body, he says, uh, the nutrition, the increasing of the body, the supplying, all the ways to taking place, everything works together to make it work. And when something isn't working, the body is not functioning properly. You could let any medical person who understands the apostle's language take up this verse and they will be convinced that the apostle had all of these things in view when he's talking about the church as the body. There is no room for divisiveness in the church in 2022. Unfortunately, it's a pandemic that has happened in our society that's been amplified through COVID, and not enough people are talking about it it has divided homes and families and marriages, and it's, it's divided streets and it's divided people. Listen, we don't, we don't ask you what stripe you vote. That's not necessary. That's not what church is about. We don't ask your, uh, uh, if, if, Can you imagine if we had someone at the door asking you political questions on the way in to decide what side of the church you were going to sit on? No. We don't. No, this is, this is a church that's built up of people that only has one head, and that's Christ. And divisiveness is not part 
of the equation. We as a church must, without question, fight against what society is saying. And let me tell you, I'm just, I'm trying to be as nice about it as possible. Evaluate your online presence to make sure that you're approaching that properly in how you talk to people. There's nothing like a good old-fashioned conversation across the table over a cup of tea and a shortbread cookie. Amazing. Stand, if you would. Food has to come into it somehow. I want to tell this church, I'm so thankful for this church. I'm thankful for the maturity of this church. I'm thankful for the people of this church that kind of just, in most cases, stay out of all that stuff. But we need to be gently reminded at times not to engage in that so that we avoid any possibilities of divisiveness that would try to creep in and destroy what God is doing. We must guard against the enemy's devices. He doesn't have new devices. He's not coming up with anything new. He isn't. Divisiveness has been around since the beginning of time. And he won't try to do something new. He doesn't, he's not smart enough to do something new. He will use the same old tactics to try to get people to battle each other. And God made it very clear through Paul's writing, you're not wrestling each other. You're wrestling principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. Thank you for joining us today. If you want more information, connect with us on our website at missionpoint.ca. God bless you.